Welcome to Zenergy, the interactive podcast providing resources for building a better life. I am Zen Ashe. I am a coach, a conduit, and a catalyst who launches humanity into greatness by accelerating mindset changes and replacing limitations with possibilities. So today our topic is how to flourish. And I have with me um, Mr. Hayes. Yes. And I met you. It's been years. It's been pre-COVID, what, like four years, three years? Man, it's been about five, maybe six. Oh, wow. It's been that long. My goodness. we originally met, yeah. Okay, wow. (laughs) So um, I I don't even remember. I think I met you at one of my shows. I think somebody brought you. Is that correct? Yeah. My friend Joker and I were doing the um, uh, radio station, on-air radio station. And um, he had ran into you somewhere. I think at one of their shows they were doing him and his wife. And so you invited us out and he told me about it. I'm like, yeah, I'd love to meet her. He told me you were doing poetry and you were doing events on the north side. I was like, what? On the north side? So, yeah, we headed out there and listened to your show and watched what you had going on. It was amazing. We loved it. Awesome. Well, (laughs) you know, I've always been thankful to you because uh, when I first was starting, yes, it's been at least four years, like you said, because... (laughs) You gave me that business spreadsheet mm-hmm. <laughs> and you introduced me to the person who does my taxes. Yes. And uh, that was very helpful to me because, you know, I did not know <laughs> a lot of things. Most of us don't. <laughs> and yeah, so that was, you know, we sat down and, and you talked. Zen, where'd you go? I think he kicked you out. Hello, everyone, if you can hear me and see me. <laughs> so basically what Zen was saying before she got cut out is that, um, ah, there she is. <laughs> okay, so anybody who's watching, we don't have any eyes on us. We can edit that out later, but right now nobody's watching. Um, my The weather has mm-hmm. been doing really strange things with my internet today. Yes, cell And I've too. never had this happen before. But it just completely kicked me out for a second. And I was able to click, you know, resume or come back in. But, yeah, that that just, wow. The cell phones, too. Uh, the other day when it was real heavy, I couldn't get a cell phone call out to save my life. So, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Texas, right? Welcome to Texas. Yeah, but, you know, we sat down and, and you gave me some tips about, you know, how I could have a home business. Mm-hmm is a tax write-off. You can keep your receipts. You can track your mileage. You can track your spending on, you know, things related to the business. And, and so you were really helpful. That helped me flourish as a young business owner. (laughs) And I'm still in the process of learning many, many, many things. You know, I've been taking business classes Mm -hmm. uh, this past year and learning all kinds of things, you know, so, um, I guess just starting there, that word flourish, what what does it mean to you when we say how to flourish? To me, flourish means that your possibilities have been unleashed and you are not limited by the constraints of everyday life. You've uh, transcended, if you will. You've transcended what you have been taught from first grade up through college and you broke through the barrier to really have and achieve what we call life. That's what I believe. 
Wow. That, that's a sound bite. I'm, I already know I'm going <laughs> to clip that out. And that's probably going to be like one of the little clips that I, that I have for this show later on. Um, I love that, that you have transcended the barriers of things that were taught to you. You know, um, I feel like I have been doing that for especially the last five years of my yes. life. Um, I, I, I say many times, you know, I did what I was told to do. I went to college, I got married, I had kids and I was told that was going to make me happy. And I was happy with being a mom. Yeah. Marriage wasn't as exactly what I expected, yeah. but, uh, you know, yeah. then when I, you know, when I got divorced, I was like, okay, I really want to flourish. I really want to, all the things that I've been putting on the shelf, that I've been saying I'll get to later, my dreams, my goals, my vision for myself. I want to do all those things. And I kind of yeah. felt like I had to kind of put everything in overdrive because I was already 43 at that time. Yes. And, and I was like, ah, oh, let me get started. Let me get started. <laughs> and, you know, I really feel so blessed. So, you know, the, the, there's a saying that when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Yes. And I feel like I've met so many people in that first year of um, launching myself out into the world, which I first started with poetry open mics. And then later, you know, I started with my own business. And like I said, I met you. I met so many people that just sewed into me. Mm -hmm. And I believe that those powerful connections uh, really help people to flourish because yes. I don't think that we can. No man is an island. No, I don't think that we can flourish by ourselves. Well, and Jesus think, had 12 disciples. I always tell people ah, ah, that's he was good. God in the flesh, you know, but he still that's had good. 12 people helping him out. So <laughs> that's amazing. I'm going to see, I'm going to steal that from you. I'm going to give you credit. I guess I won't be stealing. I will just be, I will just be sharing your wisdom. Yes. I like um, it but way. you're right. I mean, if the son of God needed 12 disciples to help him on his mission in earth, how the world do we think that we normal human beings are going to get through life and not need assistance, guidance, mentorship, um, help, you mm -hmm. know, support a support system. How, how do we think we're going to do that? So that, that is, that's a really great saying. <laughs> so fear, fear I kind of show, what'd you say? I said fear is the key driver for most of us thinking that we can do it by ourselves. It's really fear Ooh, that pushes wow. us to do that. You know, we're, we're fearful of other people. We're fearful of being taken advantage of. And what we haven't learned is the, the true lessons are in the losses. They're not in the wins. Because when you win, you've done everything right. You've executed it right. The game is yours, right? But when you lose, you got to go back to the drawing board. You got to go back to the locker room. You got to think about what the hell did I do? How did I get so far off track, you know? And wow. that's where you really learn those lessons that catapult you beyond where you lost the last time. At least that's what happened for me. <laughs> I, I could agree with that. I do believe that um, when you lose or when it seems like you've lost, you have to recalibrate. Mm -hmm. And um, the people who are able to recalibrate and able to reflect mm -hmm. and, and bounce back with a different plan of action are the ones that break through, as you were saying, the limitations, the, the training, the mindset mm -hmm. problems, and then they go on to, to greater success. So yeah. I, I definitely agree with that. Um, I definitely agree with that. So, um, how did you kind of start on your journey? So mine was kind of divorced and feeling like I had 
to make up for lost time. Um, so how did you kind of start on your journey with wanting to live your best life? Is this something that you've always wanted to do, like from a kid? Or did you kind of realize you weren't living yeah. your best life and then kind of decided to shift or, or what happened? Yeah. It's a little bit of all of that, honestly. For me, the most pivotal moment in my life, well, there was two of them. One was me being a little kid, probably about seven years old. This is during the 70s, watching my grandfather step off the sidewalk to let a white man in the suit go by. So that was my first thing that taught me, hey, they're different from us. Why is this guy in the suit different from us? So as I started learning and, and you know, watching more, really observing more, I learned that these guys were businessmen. So that ideal, not understanding racism as a kid, that ideal set me to the library. Like when everybody would be out playing, I'd be at the library reading business books and business publications. I didn't know what the heck I was reading, but it was interesting to me. So that kind of spurred it. And um, as I went on through life, I went to try to do many different businesses. Me and my friends used to paint T-shirts in the summertime to make money. That's how we got our school money until we turned 16. You know, uh, from there, I started working at a Sonic. And in that, I wanted to become a manager. I would have been the youngest manager in Sonic history at that time had I got the position. But I was cheated out of that, too. You know, so uh, that kind of spurred me. And throughout my life, I've just been on this journey, to be very honest with you. Well, that, you know, I love what you were saying about you saw something. It made you question why, mm -hmm. you know, so many people see things even as adults and they don't question why they just accept it. That's just the way it is. Yes. Well, why is it that way? Yes. And, and of course, you said you didn't understand it was racism. You thought it was a business thing that this businessman deserved more respect or that your yes. grandfather respected him. And you wanted that kind of respect where people would, you know, defer to you in a sense or, or treat you <laughs> as, hey, man, this guy is something, you know. And as a, you had that 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 mindset as a child, OK, there's a difference between these two people. What's the difference? And then you went and you took initiative. Yes. So for people who are listening later, <laughs> I always try to pull the nuggets out of the person's life. What yes. did they do that was good? And I'm showing you, he saw something, he noticed it. Then he researched, you know, what he thought that difference was. Mm -hmm. And he didn't care that he was being different or doing something different from all the other kids in the neighborhood. He had a goal. He pursued that goal to the best of his ability at the time. And as adults or wherever you, if your kid listening to this, you know, yeah. um, you can do that too. That's how a lot of people actually find the next niche. You know, they notice something, they research, mm -hmm. they take initiative. And then they're not worried about what everybody else in the industry is doing. They really feel they're on to something. So they step yeah. out and that they race. launch the yes. next Uber <laughs> or, you know, the next Netflix yes. or the next, you know, I mean, I remember hearing blockbusters say about Netflix, why would anybody want to stream movies <laughs> in their home on their computer? Why yes. would somebody want to do that? Yes. Because they would, because they yes. like having it on their phone. They like having it on their tablet. They it don't like different. having keys. They have different. to pay. Yes. You know, it, it's convenient. So the fact that they were so mired in everybody's going to always come to our store, our brick and mortar store, mm -hmm. and pick up a DVD <laughs> or pick up a game, and no one is ever going to want to do anything different. They weren't the person saying, I see people like convenience. Let me research how to give them more convenience and entertainment. Yeah, complacency. Even though nobody else is doing it. 
Yes. You know? And you know, so, one of my favorite authors, Robert Kiyosaki, has a saying, right? Mm -hmm. His saying is, a statement closes the mind and a question opens the mind. So I carry that with me everywhere I go. You know, when you start to question things, your mind is open and it's going to search for an answer. But if you make a statement, I can't do that. That's not for me. I don't want to. Those statements shut you down before you even get yourself opened up to even achieve whatever it is that you're after. So if you listen, always question, 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 even when you have to answer question, question, because it just leads to more solutions, as I like to call them, more answers to those questions. So, yeah. I, I agree with you so much. I just did a little mini podcast on questions and, and the topic of it was three questions changed my life. Mm. You know, That's the powerful. first, yeah, the first question was I was married and this was back in, I believe 1998 and I was going to therapy. I had asked my husband to come to therapy and he said, why should I come to therapy? I'm a great husband. I, you know, I can't keep a job and I do get mad and break things around the house and I do curse you out, but I'm a great husband. <laughs> No. Uh, yeah, that led to a long argument. That was the beginning of the end. But I decided to go to therapy anyway yeah, without yeah. him. And I'm in therapy and my therapist says, why is this relationship success or failure all on you? Why do you think that? Didn't two of you stand at the altar? Mm -hmm. Didn't two of you take vows? Yes. Why are you? Why is your whole identity wrapped up in, if I fail at this marriage, I, as a woman, am a failure. Why yes. do you think that? Yeah, and you can't. <laughs> and, and I didn't have an answer for that. My answer now would be because I was trained to think that. Because yes. every woman around me thought that. Yes. <clears throat> I didn't know that answer back then, but, but the question was enough for me to say, I don't have an answer for this. There's a problem that I'm living my life on something that I don't have an answer for. Mm -hmm. I can't even talk. I can't even have a conversation with this woman about why I'm doing this. Why do I feel so compelled to do this? Why am I so wrapped up in this relationship that I can't even get a person to take an hour out of his day to come to therapy for us to deal with our relationship? And a lot of people are dealing with that very question. A lot of people, that very question you just asked is probably the crux of most relationships. Yeah. So, you know, that was one question. That was one question that put me on a whole different trajectory. It made me say, I can only be responsible for me. Right. I am not responsible for this whole entire relationship. I'm not responsible if he cheats. I'm not responsible when he loses his temper. I'm not responsible for him breaking shit. I'm not responsible for all this stuff. I am just responsible for me trying to be the best wife that I can right. be, the best mother I can be, and the best person I can be. And all I can do is my best. Yeah, that's it. That's true. You know, and that was the mindset I took. And from that freed me. You want to talk about some freedom? Woo! That freed me. I began to flourish. Even in yeah, that, that is relationship. I yeah. began to flourish because I had been chained to an idea that if this failed, I was a failure. Mm -hmm. And my whole identity was wrapped up in making sure it worked at whatever cost. You know what I mean? Well, you know what you were caught up in? And I was having this conversation with another two friends of mine the other day. You and I were raised by industrial age parents in a technological age uh, of our own. So those ideals that a lot of us have that are Generation Xers uh, and some millennials even was based on ideals that no longer existed in the world. But because we had those parents, that stuff was stuck. We were stuck with that. We were stuck with those ideals you're talking about. And that causes us a lot of conflict because 
our lives are so vastly different from the generation before us, from the boomers. I mean, it is a complete 360 degree difference from what they grew up in. You know, so we're the only generation that is between two worlds, but all our kids and forward, they're they're in their own world now. You know, so, yeah, I, I can agree with what you're saying. Yeah. And, and you know, flourishing, um, just being exposed to new ideas, you know, because sometimes you got to know who to take your advice from. You know, I remember um, being in an abusive marriage and I talked to one of my older female relatives and she was like, well, you signed up for it. You got married. You know what I'm saying? You made your bed. You got to lie in it, girl. Pull up your big girl panties. You know what I'm saying? Um, he doesn't leave any bruises on you, really. You know what I'm saying? So um, that's something, you know, he, he brought you flowers a couple of times. That's something, you know, you went out to eat a couple of times. That's something. You know, he does keep a job six months of the year. You know, that's something, you know, I mean, she's trying to point out all these things. And I'm thinking I shouldn't be scared of the person I'm living with. No, that's some pretty low expectations if that's what she Right, exactly. But, you know, coming from a certain a certain era. Yes. um, That was the idea that once you made a decision, this is your word. And your word is your bond. And you said before God and all the neighbors and all the family, you were going to be with this man until death departs. You need to keep your word. (laughs) Who are you if you don't keep your word? You know what I'm saying? Um, And and so, again, flourishing can be, to me, that question, going back to questions, you know, the question of why was I still there? Why was it my my responsibility completely? And I couldn't answer that. You know, she was like, you seem like you could take care of yourself and your kids by yourself. You seem like you have enough financial uh, stability that you mm-hmm. could do it without him. You're the one carrying the family to six months that he doesn't have a job. Right. So um, why couldn't you do it 12 months? Why couldn't you do it indefinitely? Why, why, why are you still there? What yeah. are you getting out of this? You know, and I couldn't answer those questions. So I think part also, and I know that that you help people with this mindset. Mm-hmm. The very first thing that I had to do was change my mindset from I made my bed. I need to lie in it. Right. Uh, I'm a failure if this doesn't work to I actually can take care of myself and this is not healthy for me or my kids. Correct. I deserve better than this. Even though people in my family might say that what you complaining about, it could be worse. It could be worse. I yeah. could be dead. Okay. <laughs> it could be worse. But uh, it could be much better. Yes, it could. And it's probably going to be better if I leave, even if I'm single, even if I don't ever end up in another relationship, even if that's the cost, I probably will be happier and safer. And my kids, too. Yes. You know, so mindset shift and and even beginning to think about other possibilities. So, you know, I know that you help families. What, What is it that you do? And, and how are you helping households to kind of flourish, to explore, you know, options, to change their mindsets, you know, among other things that you do? Yeah. Well, I have spent a lot of years across a lot of industries, but all of those industries all relate to a household, right? Me growing up from a small town, watching Black people not flourish, watching Black families fall apart. And, and I really stepped back to watch why these families were falling apart. Well, one part was finances. The other part was education. The next part was assets. 
And then um, medical, believe it or not, medical was the last mm -hmm. part. So I, I've spent the last 30 years learning in all those industries how to be successful, but I am not learning it from the traditional sense. I learned from the outskirts of it. I learned the fringe things that they don't teach you. I, I'm a digger. So I dig for the information that is not readily uh, made available to us because what's readily made available to us is what they call retail, right? Mm -hmm. And retail, everybody can have, anybody can have retail. But wholesale, you got to put a lot of work in to get something wholesale, meaning at a, at a lower cost with bigger benefit on the other side, right? So I spent years learning those things. I've been to countless amounts of seminar, countless amounts of training, countless amounts of books, audio tapes, and just hands-on experience with a lot of these things to help a family understand their, the totality of them, because it's got to be holistic. You can't tackle one aspect and not tackle the others, because when it comes to like finances, right? It's inevitable that in a relationship, there's always two different people with two different types of ideas on finance. If you grew up in a household that your parents didn't budget, they didn't save a penny, uh, they spent every dime they had, that's going to be your way of life. That's what you know, right? And then you'll have this other person, because it's inevitable, we always find our opposite in some aspect, right? This other person is a saver. They don't like to spend a lot. You know, they're looking out for tomorrow. So that's your first form of conflict, even though everything else works, right? And once you have any type of conflict in this manner, it starts to filter into everything else. So I just kind of show them how to look at their whole picture and then they design their own um, plan to move forward if they wish to flourish and succeed. So That's good. I like that, that idea that everything, everything touches everything else. You know, everything is connected. Everything is related. And, and I, I definitely believe that. Um, somebody said the way you are in one area of your life is the way you are in all areas of life. My mentor was famous over. for that. <laughs> mm. That, yeah, that it trickles over to everything, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I like that you're trying to help them develop a vision of where they want to go and then a plan of how they want to get there, mm -hmm. you know, cause I believe that everything starts in the mind first, you develop that vision, then you start to put the steps in place to get there. And, and it may be baby steps. It may be huge, gigantic leaps, mm -hmm. you know, depending on what it is, yes. you know, so that's, that's really good. And, and that you're bringing people together to discuss um, their mindsets and how much they're shaped by what they see growing up. Cause I, yeah. I just listened to a book. I cannot think of the name of it right now, but the guy who wrote the book was talking about that people have a, a financial set point you know, and that basically they have a paradigm and it comes from their childhood. Most times, either they are directly mirroring their parents or they are rebelling against what their yes. parents did and they're doing the opposite. Yes. And so many times he, he, his first uh, seminar is trying to get people to figure out what their paradigm is for money and mm -hmm. how they actually see it and what roadblocks they have to abundance, to seeing themselves as, you know, a millionaire, a multimillionaire, or mm -hmm. someone who's, you know, just flowing in abundance, whatever that means to them, whatever success level means to them. So he actually spends a lot of time yeah. getting them to define it and then getting them to rewrite it. Well, you know, we as a lot of black households were taught that wealth was evil, mm. that wealth was, 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 was devilish, that wealth was not a good thing to have. And um, like I said, the generation before us was very heavy into the church, you know, and a lot of black churches taught this, uh, even though that's nowhere in the Bible does it say right. that. 
There were so many men that, that God gave wealth and power to. You know, nowhere in the Bible does it say you shouldn't be wealthy. But it does say that a rich man will not inherit the kingdom, that will not enter into heaven, right? But that's not what he means. He's talking about how you manage the wealth, how many people you helped, and what did you do with it once you had it. Now, wealth just concentrated to yourself is toxic. It will destroy you. But but what he's saying is correct, and that's honestly what I've observed out in the environment, working with people, talking with people, because. One of the biggest things is to ask them to do a budget and people's eyes just glaze over, you know, but they don't understand that that is the first step to, to healing is having that budget in place, you know, because without it, you don't know where your money is going. You know, your money's telling you what to do, literally telling you what you can and can't do. You want to go to the movies? Oh, I can't. I don't have any money. Why? Because you didn't do a budget, right? Did right. your budget, you find out you got $70, $80 left over at the end of the month. Are you investing? No, not investing. Well, you're definitely not going to have money in the future because you haven't put anything away. And the Bible talks about storing your 10%. It talks about tithing. Tithing is not just to the church. It's also to yourself. You know, you got to grow your money so that you can be a blessing to others is what you're supposed to be doing. So all of these things kind of roll in to that holistic um, education and uh, resolution, if you will, that I tried to impart to people. Yeah, you know, I did an episode on um, basically sowing and receiving, you know, and it was the whole idea of being a conduit. You know, everything in nature is a circle, you know, the water cycle, yes. you know, <laughs> and the, the, the food chain, right? So when you get, like, when we breathe, we are taking in you know, oxygen, we are releasing carbon dioxide. Yes. There is a tree out there who needs the carbon dioxide. So there is a place for that to go. So yeah. everything is a in and a out. We're supposed to be flowing. We're supposed to be receiving and giving, receiving yes. and giving. It's supposed to be a current. And in yes. fact, you know, somebody told me that you should not even say money. You should say currency because that reminds you that it's supposed to be a current. Yes. It's supposed to flow into your life and out of your life with purpose. And you're supposed to be part of that cycle of giving and receiving. Yes. And that's another way to flourish because if you are like this with your money, you're actually not going to get blessed because mm -hmm. you're operating in fear. You're operating in lack yes. and you have to be open to receive, but also open to give. Yes. And that's not just, Money, that's time, that's effort, that's your positivity, that's mm -hmm. all of those things. Because whatever you're sowing can be yeah. multiplied and brought back to you. Yeah. But if yeah. you're not sowing anything, what are you going to reap? Nothing. You know? Well, I have this, this saying that I, I teach my kids, my nephews, all of my immediate family members, right? The younger ones especially. Time is money, Right. You sacrifice 40 hours of your life literally to earn money, right? So money is literally life. So when you have that money, you've, you've expended time you can't get back. And what you spend your money on represents how you value your life. Mm -hmm. So what you give your money to shows how you value the life that you have, right? So I'm not talking about giving it to your cousin who can't pay their bills every couple of months and you got to help them out every, you should never ever, ever help them out once. 
And after that, if they can't figure it out, then why are you subsidizing their lifestyle, right? Because uh, right. then you're enabling them to be irresponsible and then you're enabling yourself to be irresponsible at the same time. So I try to get people to see that when you sacrifice your time on this earth that you can't get back for money that you can get back, you want to maximize the way you utilize that money because once you get rid of it, you've given away the life hours that you've expended to earn that income. You know, and for some people, it really brings it home because, um, you know, that's a different perspective that none of us ever looked at it from. But you do. You sacrifice more hours to work and earn a paycheck than you do at home with your family. You know, because by the time you get home, you've got four, maybe five visible hours you can hang out. And then the other six hours to eight hours, you sleep. Then you're back at it again for another eight to 12 hours if you include traffic. So you have to be sure you're utilizing that money, that time, that life in a way that represents you to the best of your ability. I like that. I like that. Um, you know, time, the use of time mm -hmm. is so powerful and so important because we, like you said, we only have so much time. We don't know how much time we have. And so using it on things that help us to flourish is really important and, and valuing it. You know, so many people talk about, oh, I got to kill time or I'm bored. You know, I never, I remember I, 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 t I told my students the story when I was probably about nine or 10 years old. Um, I used to go to my grandmother's house every summer and she, I made the mistake of saying to my grandmother, I was bored one time. I should <laughs> never said that. I should never said that. Cause she said, Oh, you're bored. You're bored. Okay. That's fine. Come on with me, girl. We went out to her garden and yes, made yes. me pull weeds. She made yes. me hoe and rake and from yes. the sun went down. We got, we had a little break for lunch. You know, I was so sore and, and, you know, my hands, everything. <laughs> oh my God. So sweaty. Yes. She said, she said, let me, let me explain something to you. There's always something that needs to be done. If you cannot find something creative to do with your brain for you not to be bored, I will definitely find something for you. You yes. will not ever complain of being bored in my house. And I never, ever complained of being bored. You know, so that was kind of a life lesson. Um, and, and I actually read another article by Anna Quinlan and she was talking about, a, I think it was called The Power of Doing Nothing or something like that. Mm -hmm. I've heard. It was basically about time and how if you are always filling your time with frivolous things like playing games or, um, you know, watching media, <laughs> what you're not doing is the things that actually lead to the great art. You're not, you're not actually bringing what's in you out. That's and she true. was saying it was her boredom <laughs> in the summer that led to her beginning to write. Mm -hmm. And that led to her career. So had she been one of these kids who were scheduled every minute of the day or had a gadget in their hands every two seconds, you know, she probably wouldn't even be a writer because she would not have developed the ability to focus. She would not have uh, developed the ability to imagine and create things for herself because everything would have been handed to her. She wouldn't have had to think because all she got to do is pull up, you know, some video game or some YouTube video or TikTok video, you know? So she was saying that she kind of feels that we're doing our kids a disservice and we're in a sense limiting their ability to flourish. 
and to deal with what happens when the electricity goes out as it has every now and then. And those kids have to entertain themselves. They don't even know how to do it. They, They don't even have a board game anywhere. They don't know how to play cards. They don't even know how to have a conversation. You know, so part of teaching them how to flourish is kind of teaching them that they don't need a gadget every minute of the day, that they have this, that they Mm -hmm. have this, Mm -hmm. that they have inside of them talents and abilities that they can utilize Mm -hmm. and try, go draw something, go, you know, build a fort, you know, know, do something that's going to show your creativity, that's going to actually you know, develop some maybe dexterity and some, you know, coordination, mm-hmm. eye hand coordination. We got kids that can't even catch a ball, yeah. you know, because yeah. they, they don't go outside yeah. and play. And they only maybe do it in, in PE, you know, every now and then. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I thought when you were talking about time, that kind of came up <laughs> about how we use our time. And, and you know, it's very important. It is it is very important. Um, and, and that's something I go over to. I do ask them, you know, what are their hobbies? What do they do? How do they spend their day? You know, because it, it helps me kind of understand their their upbringing, their background, because typically if you were somebody who was always working like me, I was always working. My dad painted houses in the summer. So everybody else was playing. I was painting houses from 10 and up. Right. Uh, we were building houses. We were tearing down houses. We were cutting logs in the wood. We were always doing something, fishing, hunting. It was always something we were doing. So that kind of bled into my life a lot. And then when I got with my grandfather on my mom's side, he was an entrepreneur. Right. And I didn't know to what degree until I got a little older, but he was one of the first black people I'd ever seen in the 80s with a diner's club card. And back then, diner's club was a major deal. You know, you had to have some money to have that. This guy spent uh, back in the 80s something like $400 on bikes, cash. And I had never seen people spend that kind of cash before in my life. So I was always interested in what he did. And he cut yards, you know, was his visible job. But what he really did was buy rent houses. He was he was a, an investor, you know, and we didn't find all this out about him until after he passed away because he kept it quiet, you know. But um, so those things have always been there to kind of show me. And I've, I've been a busybody since then, you know, because I, I see what it does for you, how it benefits you in, a, in the long run. That's pretty amazing. I, I You know, I don't know about this older generation, because when my mom passed, we all knew, okay? My mom was always trying to get me to sell some. She tried to get me to sell Tupperware, lingerie, yes, Mary yes. Kay, Avon, yes. uh, what else? Insurance, mm-hmm. rearranged funerals. Yes. Um, I'm missing some things in there. You know, <laughs> so she literally tried to get me to sell probably everything. Amway, that was one, another oh, one. Yeah. Um, but my mom, she she was definitely the entrepreneur's entrepreneur. We found she had eight DBAs <laughs> when, when, when we were going through her stuff. Nice. You know, eight DBs. Nice. And it was so funny when I started uh, my business, I said to my mom, I said, are you surprised that I'm starting a business? Because um, she gotten sick. And, and I was like, well, I guess I need to stop. I need to put this on hold. She said, you will not. You yeah. will not. She was like, you may need to slow down, but you will not. It took me all this time to get you in business. I've been trying to get you to sell stuff ever since you were 18. And look at you, you now. You will <laughs> look not. at you now. <laughs> yeah. You, you are now what I was, what? 48 then you know well 47 so i was 47 she was like i've been trying to get get you to sell stuff since you were 18 you finally selling something you will not stop 
You may have to slow down. So, but um, yeah, and, and she knew what I didn't know at the time, which was the freedom that comes, the confidence that comes, how being an entrepreneur in any way, however you're doing it, even if it's just a side hustle, it makes you tap into things that as an employee, you never tap into. True. Um, and it, it does help you flourish in, in many ways. You know, it may not be for everybody, but I think it's for a lot of us. Well, you know, a lot yeah, of us. Yeah. I've learned that uh, I really I'm a believer and this is my own belief that everybody should be required when they go to college to have a two year business degree. And I only say that because that puts you in the mind of the employer, not the employee. So as you're there on the job, you will learn skills. You will understand how work flows. You'll be better at negotiating your income. You'll have a better understanding for how things are moving within the economy. And you will be prepared for when things happen. Um, the last job job I had at Memorial Hermann, I knew when I was going to be laid off. I knew almost two years in advance that I was going to be laid off because I saw the economy changing through the hospital. Part of my responsibility was to order supplies. So whenever we changed suppliers and we went from this top grade A supplier to like an A minus supplier, I knew something was up fiscally. So I started looking out for that. Right. I started stuffing my 401k with money two years in advance. I started overstuffing it because I knew something was going to happen. And when that day came, they, you know, they sat me down. They're like, Hayes, I'm sorry, but we're going to have to let you go. We're cutting, you know, employees. They let 4,000 of us go at one time, you know, because they mm. were trying to get bought out. But uh, when they told me, I was like, really? Like, you're kidding, right? They were like, no, we're serious. I'm like, all right, where's the paperwork? Let me sign it. You know, they were like, what the hell is wrong with him? You know, but I knew it was coming. So I'd already prepared myself to jump out and start my own thing and do my own thing from that point, you know, because, hey, I'd done the corporate thing for well over 30 years and I was sick of it anyway. <laughs> so it was a blessing, but it a business degree any business education, and by the way, U of H does give some free business classes. And U of H has one of the top-notch business schools in the city of Houston. They have one of the best business programs. But um, having that little understanding of business will help you in your personal life and in your work life if you decide to just work. You know, so. Right, well, Kurt? speaking of free business classes, um, I signed up through the SBA with a group yes. called SCORE. Yes. I do not remember what it stands for, but uh, they actually have an online business course. Yes, they do. And I'm in, you know, I've been doing different webinars like piecemeal, but mm -hmm. I, I am going through the course, you know, in sequential order, yes. you know, now. Um, and it, it is the, the webinars have been great. You know, I mean, just wonderful, just amazing, amazing, amazing. So I, I highly encourage anybody watching. It's free. It's free. Yes, yes. You know, um, they do have some paid classes, but they have a lot and they even have mentorship. I actually have a mentor that I, um, have emailed a couple of times, you know, um, through score. So, yeah, so that I plan to get much more in depth with that because <laughs> I'm going to be retiring, you know, in the next six months. Yeah, I'm going to retire from you know, full time entrepreneurship. So Go it's ahead. going to be a blessing. Um, <laughs> so what what resources do you feel have helped you to kind of live your best life and to be a resource for mm -hmm. other people who are trying to flourish, as we put it? <laughs> 
Um, I would say books first, either audio or or regular paperback. It just depends on what you what you do and how much time you have. You don't have a lot of time to do the audio book. It does something different to you hearing it through someone else's voice. You know, hearing the words versus reading them sometimes. But um, I recommend your very first book should be Rich Dad Poor Dad. Because uh, the one thing people don't know about is where their money comes from, how their money is generated. You know, when you learn that first, you break the cycle because he has a thing he calls the cash flow quadrant. Right. So there's four quadrants we all fall into. You're either an employee, self-employed, a business owner or an investor. The goal is to go from the E quadrant all the way around to the I quadrant, which most of us are absolutely unaware uh, and I learned this probably in my early 20s, actually, working with him. So I've been on different aspects of this roadmap, trying to get into the I quadrant. Right now, I'm in the S and I quadrant, or the B and I quadrant, business owner and investor quadrant right now, right? But I started as an employee. So start with that book first. The next book I recommend everybody get is called Outwitting the Devil. And this is by Napoleon Hill. This book is a very powerful book. It was so powerful at the time that it was written in the early 1900s that it was shelved until 2012. The book was never released by the family until 2012 for fear of death. And then wow. even after that, it was put out by a foundation, not by his family directly. But the book, um, oddly enough, a lot of the stuff the guy talks about in the book, we're still dealing with today, right? We're still dealing with that. Uh, so after you get those done, the next book I recommend is The Cash Flow Quadrant by Robert Kiyosaki. So those three books alone will help you break the mindset that you've been taught to be a slave, basically. I'm just going to say it the way it is. You know, we're all slaves to the machine, but you should not be a cog in the machine. You should actually be the machine. It is not in the uh, in the uh, making of money, if you will. Uh, through labor is through the generation of money, through ideas and, and through entrepreneurship is how you flourish. Right. But you got to sit down. You got to give yourself a hard talk about money. And then Robert does that in Rich Dad, Poor Dad, because he tells two stories. The story of what his poor dad taught him or his his Ph.D. dad taught him and the stories of his dad who dropped out of high school, but was a millionaire. You know what he taught him. So um, those are three resources I recommend. And again, I'm always available. <laughs> I am always available. Currently, I'm working back in the real estate industry. Uh, again, this is my grandfather's um, push for me. Uh, I saw what it did for him. I know what it can do for a family. It doesn't matter what the market is doing. I recommend buying a house. Always, 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 because that thing is the biggest savings plan you will ever have. Um, you can dump as much money as you want into it, and it just comes back to you. Even if the market crashes, that thing in time will come back to you because everything is a cycle, like you said. Money moves in a cycle. And for you, Zen, my jewel for you, <laughs> my jewel for you, my friend, because I always try to give you something, is this book called Becoming Your Own Banker mm. by uh What's his name? Robert uh, Robert N. Neely, I think it is, or Robert R. Nielsen. Yeah, Robert R. Nielsen. But this book teaches you how to literally become your own bank and you break away from the, uh, the uh, not racist, but the bigoted financial system that we're all in. Because believe it or not, the financial system is not set up for, for most of us to win. And it doesn't matter what color you are. It's not set up for the average person to win. 
You know, so it doesn't matter if you're Democrat, Republican, or Independent, the system is not set up for us to win. But through reading these materials, you learn how to break that mindset and that cycle that you have you in. And you can literally start mapping out your own roadmap from just those four books. Those four books will give you all the freedom you need. And it doesn't matter what age you are, you can start that journey and build out. Well, I've read two of them and and I will <laughs> say um, both those books by Robert Kawasaki are great. Yes. Um, one of the things that he said that kind of really impacted me was when he was basically talking about, he, he was talking about his, his poor dad. Yes. And how his poor dad was so afraid of mm -hmm. taking risk mm -hmm. uh, of being an entrepreneur or mm -hmm. leaving the profession he was in because he had tenure. Yes. And then um, he was so afraid of losing that tenure. And then at the end of his life, he ended up getting fired or laid off or something to mm -hmm. that effect. And none of his years of loyalty mattered mm -hmm. at all. Anything. It didn't nope. help him. It didn't <laughs> save him. It did, they didn't consider any of that <laughs> when yeah. they let him go. And he was like, had my dad made different choices, had he invested in himself, had he been maybe jumping around? You know, what I, yes. I, I saw this Every article. five years. Right. I saw this article and this guy had become a, a, a millionaire. And mm -hmm. basically what he did, now this is the craziest thing. Nobody has ever said this before in any place I've ever seen. He said what he did to become a millionaire, and he did it by the age of like 45 or something like that. In his 20s, he decided that every five to eight years, he was going to move to a different job. Mm -hmm. And he, he was planning on only doing it if he had a 15 to 20% increase in salary. And he basically invested the difference. Yes, so basically every five years, every eight years, he would move jobs. He would yeah. invest that 15 to 20% difference because he was already living on the lower salary. Yes. So he never changed in a sense, his standard of living. And so after he did this like 20 years, it literally led to a million dollar portfolio, a million yes. dollar portfolio in 20 years, just from changing jobs and just from getting a bump in salary increase every five years. I was book. like, what? Read that becoming your own banker book. That is literally what that book teaches you as how to make yourself a millionaire within five to 10 years. And regardless to what age you start out at, it is all about securing your money. So I'm a, I'm not a fan of 401ks at all. I'm not a fan of IRAs. I'm not a fan of, of uh, mutual funds. I'm not a fan of uh, the teacher's retirement plans. I'm not a fan of anything that plays the stock market. You know, they say, oh, big risk, big risk, big reward. But I have yet to see anyone retire on a 401k, 403b, teacher's retirement plan, a IRA or in a mutual fund. They have that and a combination of things. Right. And the reason that doesn't work for you is because you can't build compound interest within it. So those things are useless. The only place you can do that is in life insurance. It is the only place. And people run from that like it's a, a, a barrel of roaches when you start talking about life insurance. But if all of our families started to get small policies of life insurance and then buy bigger policies when the relative passes away, you keep reinvesting that money into the safest place in the world because no insurance company has ever been out of business. You can't name one that's went out of business because they're all reinsured amongst each other. The banks use your money to invest in other insurance products to give them uh, double digit interest. 
So this book, Becoming Your Own Banker, teaches you how to flip that whole system on its head. And if you follow what he's talking about, you'll be able to buy your own car yourself from your own money, pay yourself back like you would the bank. And then from that money, you'll be able to go buy your house. But but imagine, imagine living your life where you have no emergency that you're not prepared for. Imagine that. You lose your job. So what? You got about six years worth of income built up in this life insurance policy that you can borrow from yourself to start your business, you know, to go to school and re-educate yourself on something else you want to do, to take a vacation for a year and never have to worry about a bill. I mean, there is so much power in, in these few books that we're talking about that if, if people just took, I, I tell them to take a month, do a book a week and just dedicate yourself to a book a week and take notes. Listen to it all the way through and then take notes because most of these books are about an hour to two hours long. You were talking about this earlier. You couldn't sacrifice an hour of your day for yourself, but you'll go on the job and you'll sacrifice 40 hours for this person who could care less about you and will fire you at a moment's notice. When I left Herman, my tenure at that place was at such a point that everybody from the CEO down to the housekeeper knew me just by virtue of what my position was. I was an administrative assistant, but I handled payroll, I handled education, I did onboarding, I did a lot of HR functions, so I touched everybody in the company, right? But at the end of the day, when that company needed to balance its books, it didn't matter what I did because they could hire somebody else to do it cheaper than they could me. And the older we get, the more expensive we are as an employee. So don't kid yourself and think that, oh, I've been here for 20 years. They'll never let go of me. You will be the first one they let go because it's the 220 rule, as my mentor used to say. They can fire you and hire 220-year-olds to do the same job for the same amount of money they, they're, they're paying you to do it for. So we get very comfortable you know, in these jobs. And no job is secure. There is not a, The only job that's secure is the one you create for yourself. <laughs> Right. I, I like that. You know, and that's what you and I have done in a, in a way we've created that job for ourselves. Um, you can literally create your own company and pay yourself through your company. You know, pay yourself as an employee. It gives you so many benefits. It's not even funny. <laughs> I'll have to talk to you about that. You know, um, you know, I'm learning things all the time and, and, and learning how to how to do business better. You know, um, when I first started in business, I would do my taxes, you know, like in January uh, or February or March, you know, because yeah. they were due in yeah. April. Yes. Right. And I would not even know how much I made like that whole year before. Like I hadn't calculated anything until I got ready to do my taxes. And then I'd be like, oh, I've made such and such and such. This is my growth. This is my net, you know. And then I've actually improved because I actually am doing it like quarterly now. I still oh. haven't gotten to the monthly yeah. yet. But but I'm gonna get there. I'm gonna get there. Yeah, that's fine. You're making progress. You're making, making progress. progress. <laughs> making progress. You know. But um, so um, I wanted to talk about because we got on this topic of employees and and just being your your own advocate, mm -hmm. you know. And it seems like we're living in a time when people are now becoming their own advocate mm -hmm. uh, in relationships in 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 employee employer relationships. Where they're saying this is not working for me. I'm 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 taking up my blocks, you know, as the little kids just say, I'm taking my blocks and I'm going to another playground. Yes, you know they're calling quiet quitting right now. That's what they're calling yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. So do you think that this has been coming for a long time and people are like, I need to have more joy in my life, I need to have more flexibility in my life, I need to have uh 
I just need to have a life that works for me. And I am not going to, in a sense, invest my life into this company that's not investing back in me. Absolutely. Or invest my life into this relationship that's not investing back in me. Absolutely. The, the pandemic was considered to be the great reset. And they literally called it that. Uh, it gave everybody an opportunity to stop and think. Because we had a whole year where nobody could work. And they paid us to sit at home for one whole year. And in that time frame, more people went back to school and got certifications and degrees. And here's here's some something I learned along the way. Uh, again, working in this HR function, you can have a PhD, mm-hmm. and it will not be as valuable as the certificate that you add to it. Hmm. Wow! It's always the certifications on the side that give your degree value, because everything you learn in school is just the basics. I don't care what your degree is. It is as basic as basic could get. And to prove the point, when you come out of school as a physician, you still got to do seven years as an internship to learn how to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. You know? So it's 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 those key moments. And, and I always ask this question, name one person who's a millionaire or billionaire that has a degree. Mm-hmm. And most people can't name a single person because most of the guys we know now in our generation that are billionaires and multimillionaires never had their degree before they got their first million. Mm-hmm. But, but people break their neck to go work for these companies, you know, and give their ideas to these companies when these companies all started just from somebody with an idea. It's more important. Your imagination is more important than your degree. And for all these people, because we live in a college city, I know people here are so, so up on their degrees. For all of these people who believe that a degree is the way out, it is, it is the start of a way out. It is not the way out. It is the start. Because if you don't learn how to keep the tax man off your back, first and foremost, which you're doing that now with your home-based business, and then two, invest your money wisely, you will work until you die regardless of what degree you have. And, and you talk about living a full and abundant life and, a, and a, a fruitful life. You will never do that as long as you are working for someone. You will never do that because it's not set up to be that way. Hmm. Well, I wanted you, you know, to tell people specifically like where they can reach you, what kind of services you offer, you know, just kind of give them a rundown of, of how you can help them flourish. You've given us so much wisdom, but, you know, just if they're like, well, I don't know what he does for sure. I know he said he's in real estate, you know, yes, but yes. What, what, yes. What, what is it? So, um, well, currently, like I said, I am a realtor slash investor first and foremost, but with my years in the insurance industry, my years in the finance industry, my years in the car business, my years uh, in the medical field, what I do literally, even if I work with you on a real estate purchase, is sit down, make sure that you're whole, and then show you how to write off your lifestyle and to keep money in your pocket. That is the key thing that I teach you how to do is keep money in your pocket. Along the way, I give you a few ideas that I've used, things that I've used along the way to build myself out. It's up to you whether you use them or not, you know, but my whole job is to give you tools to become wealthy, whatever your definition of wealthy is. And to reach me, my phone number is 832-656-1332. Again, 832-656-1332. My email address is Mr. Hayes hbw at gmail and if you email me put zen in the subject line and then you know whatever your subject line is but put zen first so i know that's where you got this from uh but outside of that if you if you want to sit down talk about real estate and how you can build out from it either as an investor or as a homeowner or to become a homeowner 
reach out to me, text me, text me, text me, and then I'll call you back and find out when is the best time to uh, meet and sit with you. Oh, credit. Also do credit repair. <laughs> it is a self-start program. It's been around for about 13 years. It's called My Econ. My Econ has the best and most tried and true system out there. It's self-paced. You don't pay me. The system pays me. You just take care of what you have to do on your credit. Now, I can always walk you through whatever it is, but at the end of the day, uh, your credit is also your passport to a better life. It is your passport to the freedom that you seek because there's a big difference between walking into a car dealership and they say, hey, give me seven references here on this page. I need a phone number and an address along with their name in order for you to get this car. Are you walking the door and they say, OK, Mr. Harrison, sign here, please. And then you drive off the lot with the car. Right. So what we've talked about here is just the basics. I want Zen to bring me back and I, I want to talk about finances as one uh, show. And then I have this thing called the age wave that I'm going to talk with you about offline that I want you and I to do a show on. The age wave is going to blow your mind. <laughs> and it, it, I, I did this in a, a college class with my sociology professor. And when I got on the board and wrote this out, the whole class was kind of quiet. And he was just sitting there stunned because even he had never looked at it the way that I presented it to him. So I'm going to give it to you. We're going to put a show together around it. Hopefully we'll have time to do that. And uh, then we'll present it to the world if you're okay with that. Okay. That sounds good. That's a, you know, I'm, I am here. I, you know, I created this platform just like I created, you know, my live show because people are stressed. Mm -hmm. People need a, um, they need a place to come to refresh themselves. Mm -hmm. And, and my live show was more about the entertainment aspect, you know, poetry, comedy, music, yes. let's, you know, let's shake <laughs> off the, the week. Let's, let's be breathe. Free. You know what I'm saying? And this is more about, let's shake off, as you said, the limitations that society mm -hmm. has put on us. Let's, you know, reset our minds. Let's get inspiration. Let's get some guidance. You know, and, and let's see some people who are actually, they're not way so far ahead of us that we can't, you know, we can't yes. reach out to them, but they may be just a few steps ahead, yes. you know, where we don't have to recreate the wheel where we can say, okay, they did that, that worked for them. I'm going to pull this, this, and this that they said, and I'm going to input that into my life. It's not going to take me that much time or that much money to do that. I can do this. You know, the whole goal of Zenergy is to give people small things they can do mm -hmm. that lead to big results. I you like know? that. Yeah. So that's, it's, it's not trying to revamp your entire life. It's just no. trying to small things can make such a ripple effect. Yes. And, and if you do, you know, one thing each week, if you do a couple of things each month, like you were saying, read a book a week, yes. that will change your mindset. You know, I, like I said, that one question I, I gave Ooh, that man. question that right. changed my life, you know, and I, I say there's three, but I, I, I mentioned one on this podcast. So having people be able to tap in and say, OK, I, I got these tips. I got tips about investing in myself, just like I invest in my 401k. I got tips about not feeling loyal to a job that necessarily doesn't feel loyal to me. I may need to look into um, every five years you know, leveling up and getting a better job and mm -hmm. investing that money, you know, just different things that we talked about. Because if you don't know, you don't know. If nobody has ever that said so anything true. like this to you, you're like, what? You that know, is that is the, that's what can happen in 20 years. 
you know, I mean, I've been at my job 28 years. Now, teaching is slightly mm. a different thing. But yes. let's just say that I had decided to be a consultant, you know, and had leveled up every five years. Yes. And then I decided to go into my consulting business. And let's say I was investing that change. Mm -hmm. I could possibly be a millionaire now because yes. I have literally been on my job 28 years. And this guy became a millionaire in 20 years, just changing jobs every five to eight years and just investing that 15% difference in sales. Yes. You yes. know, it's like we have not in the minority community, in just the average Joe community, been even exposed to ideas like this that could help us flourish, you know, and that can be the difference between the haves and the have nots, just Absolutely. the knowledge. It is. The that is the difference. That is the only difference is that they have read and studied while we were sitting at home being entertained. Entertainment is good in small doses, but it is the most dangerous thing that we have in front of us is entertainment. Wow. That is, you know, um, I remember when I was um, teaching certain classes, we talked about the Romans, how they kept the, they kept the peasants yes. satisfied with bread and circuses. Yes. You know, they gave them free food and they gave them the gladiatorial <laughs> arena. And that kept the people from revolting because they knew, hey, what are we going to get our entertainment? We're not going to think yeah. about the fact that we're being, you know, taken advantage of and we're not being paid well and we have no rights because we got yep. bread and circuses, you know. <laughs> and it's still happening today, but now you pay for the food. You don't get it for free. <laughs> so I want to thank you for coming on and I want you to give the people your name, your phone number, your information again, where they can reach out to you. Okay. Um, my full name is Hayes, H-A-Z-E Harrison III. You can find me on Facebook under that. Uh, under, uh, what is the Instagram? I am Homes with Hayes, Homes underscore with underscore Hayes. Um, my website is homeswithhayes.com. <laughs> my phone number again is 832-656-1332. Uh, and I service the greater Houston area as well as any other part of Texas. I am a Texas realtor, not just a Houston realtor. Really, I can service anywhere in the world because our agency is all over the globe, right? Uh, and then last but not least, my email address is M-R-H-A-Z-E-H-B-W. That stands for Helping Build Wealth at gmail.com. And I am Zenashe, and you can see my link tree on the screen. Um, you can check out my books on Amazon, Zenergize Your Life Volume 1, and Plenty of Guppies and Other Dating Misadventures. Both are bestsellers. I have lots of inspirational merchandise. I will be performing at HCC next Saturday uh, with Skies and Stars. They have a performance, poetry, comedy, music. So I'll be performing there. I'll also be vending there uh, from 12 to 4. So you can look up Skies and Stars on Eventbrite. Um, if you want to get tickets to that, um, I do have many, many podcasts. Zenergy is the podcast. So if you liked anything you heard in this episode, there are 90 other episodes that you can listen to on all kinds of self-development topics from A and we're into the F's and G's now. So we're going to work our way all the way through the alphabet with self-development topics oh, nice. um, and just really dive into conversations with people who are doing the work, people who are giving you actionable steps that you can take to tweak your life to make it better. And so thank you for joining us and may you walk in Zenergy. Have a great day.
Zanashe, a newly divorced 43-year-old Southern woman, wanted a fresh start. She'd heard there were plenty of fish to choose from in the modern dating pond. What she discovered were plenty of guppies, exactly 101 of them. The result? A provocative, transparent, raw, and delightfully uncensored account of her experiences with the 101 men she encountered on her journey to find the one. In Plenty of Guppies, Zen spills all the tea on dating psychology, relationships, and self-discovery, while giving readers a rare glimpse into the life of an award-winning artist and best-selling author. The book is an enlightening narrative that explores gender roles and identity outside of societal expectations. Zen has written a refreshingly mature modern-day epic of online dating, layering her personal story with erotic poetic verses and passionate prose that frame her journey toward rebuilding a life as a single woman and adjusting to both an empty nest and boomeranging children.